Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I'm your host, Will McFadden, and I am not joined by Ovi Mahaley today. Ovi has got uh, the day off, so doing this Monday afternoon uh, during lunch. Just wanted to do a real quick um, kind of end of the year mailbag. Uh, We've got some updates on what the offseason schedule will look like. Thought about maybe doing a kind of wrap up after the end of season press conference that the Falcons held last week, but it was pretty uneventful. That um, it was almost only newsworthy in how unnewsworthy it was, which, you know, having been to several end of year press conferences uh, before in my job covering the Falcons under Dan Quinn, Thomas Dimitrov, they were pretty forthright, pretty, um, pretty frank, kind of more in that setting because they were often it was a state of the union a little bit about the team where they needed to go. It was the chance to ask some of the bigger picture questions that we'd all been circling. But on a week to week basis, you're really kind of the the coaches aren't going to give you the big picture answers when they're trying to prepare for Dallas. Uh, They just are going to kind of push those down the road. It's an easy way for them to say, hey, you know, we're only focused on this week on, on the team in front of us. We've got to put our energy into that. So Dan Quinn and Thomas were usually a little bit more open in those year-end press conferences. That wasn't the case, uh, at least with with Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot. A lot of, hey, look, you know, we're, we're going to figure it out in the next few weeks. We don't have an answer right now. Uh, a lot of a lot of kind of brushing aside. Um, a lot of the questions they didn't want to get into hypotheticals, even though the hypotheticals being discussed were players on their roster who could become free agents who who may not. All that all of that stuff should be in in play, um, but. They didn't want to go there. They didn't want to touch that. That's their prerogative. Um, so that is why we did not do one um, at the end of last week. Moving forward, the plan will be Mondays. A new Believe in Falcons podcast should be on your feed. Um, that is going to give us a chance throughout the week to kind of figure out what each show uh, we want it to be. Going to try to have a lot of guests on um, over over the next coming weeks, months, throughout the offseason. We're going to be tying it all into the relevant events going on in the league calendar senior bowls coming up we'll talk about some of the draft stuff obviously as we're getting into the combine into the draft when that dominates conversations it will uh, on this podcast as well so stay tuned um to all of that Ovi will be back he should be back uh, for the next one um if he can get free so <laughs> don't worry you won't be stuck only with me for too too long um but let's get into uh today's mailbag a lot of people were kind enough to uh Hit me a note, shoot me a line on on uh, Twitter and respond with a question. I thought now that the season is is over, we've wrapped it up and we have a pretty, I think, eventful offseason ahead of us. Just wanted to uh, to get the pulse of where all of y'all's heads was at. And this was a great way to do it. Um, so let's get into that right after this. Bet online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we all continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. And even though it's a new year, remember that Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action in 2022. 
And since it's a new year, BetOnline has a new updated desktop and mobile website, which you can use to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. All you have to do is use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get started. So whatever your sport of choice, football, basketball, hockey, UFC, don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers and get in on the action this year. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports. So remember, guys, BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, like I said, there were uh, a lot of questions, so I was really pleased uh, and humbled by that. I'm just going to try to kind of fire through them as quickly as I can. Don't need to be here all day. um, And if I get anybody's name wrong, I apologize. So let's let's get into it. Vin. And John both kind of asked uh, similar questions. So I just lumped them together right at the top. Uh, Vin asks, how soon until we expect the team to be competitive and contend for the playoffs? And will that be with or without Matt Ryan? Uh, And John asks, realistic timetable to build this franchise the way Arthur Smith wants. I say it will take three years um, or more of near perfect moves for this uh, organization to get where it wants to be. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's going to take three years of near perfect moves. I think that I could be that guy and say, well, technically they were in contention for the playoffs this year, which is true, but nobody really believes that. Uh, I think that seeing how the games unfolded, the way the season went, the way that they played against the, the bad teams on their schedule, beat up on those guys and kind of got run over against um, anybody who was really in the playoff picture. And that's that's just kind of how it went. So, sure, they were in it this year, but they they weren't really for all intents and purposes. That being said, I think that that was an example of how quickly you can get things turned around in this league. You know, we we do sit here and we talk about how tanking in the NFL is a little bit different than, say, the NBA, because you're not really one player away, uh, but you can be one offseason. I do believe that away from. Surprising a lot of people. I think the Falcons in 2016 were a great example. Now, obviously, the offense really was uh, the spur of that, but the defense came on so late and really helped make that team as dangerous as it was going into the playoffs. And that was a defense that ended up starting five rookies in the Super Bowl uh, for the first time in league history. So you can have a really successful draft class change everything. You look at the uh, class for the Saints, um, the one that had. Kamara, uh, Lattimore, Ramchek, all of those guys. I mean, it really set them on a, on a huge course. So they could be one year away. I don't think it needs to be three years. That being said, it's probably like two. <laughs> I think that we're going to see a lot of turnover on this roster this offseason. I mean, they have 28 players set to become free agents. And I'm not going to read the whole list, but on that list are guys like Dante Fowler, for Daryl Patterson, both of your starting safeties, Eric Harris and Deron Harmon, Isaiah Oliver, who's actually playing really well in that slot role until he got hurt earlier in the season. So you've got a, a decision to make there. Young Wei Koo, the, the people's champion, the best player on this team, uh, he's going to be a free agent. Russell Gage, Foye Luikan, two guys really kind of breakout seasons again. It seems like every single year, all they do is exceed expectations. I would love to keep those guys around. I mean, wouldn't you? And so, that's just a sampling of some of the guys on this list. These are big, important pieces 
And we know the Falcons salary situation. So a lot of the players that they brought in this year, one year contracts, partially because of the pandemic and, and financial stability and, and just maybe the, the landscape of when these guys were getting the deals, uh, they wanted to get back out on the market, uh, but partially because of the financial limitations that the Falcons had last offseason. Because of that, <laughs> 28 guys could potentially, you know, hit the market. Now, not all of them. I mean, they're going to bring uh, a decent amount uh, back or, or at least, you know, a portion of those guys back because they need to. You can't just lose essentially half of your roster. Um, but that's the, the type of turnover I think we're looking at. So all of that said, and, and the reason I brought that up is that chips away at the continuity, I think, year over year. Now, what it also gives is the flexibility for this coaching staff to really kind of have outs, just natural off ramps for players that they now know may not be part of their vision moving forward. So you don't have to cut a guy. You don't have to try to trade him. It's just, all right, thank you for your service for a year. Now you're gone. We'll, we'll go find somebody else who can do X that, that maybe you couldn't do that we thought you could. So that'll give the coaching staff more flexibility, but the roster overhaul, I mean, could benefit <laughs> like it certainly Cordero Patterson, guys like that who can come in here and maybe something clicks in the way that it didn't previously. Um, and so that's the best case version of it, right? The other could be that the chemistry is not there. And then this team has to spend a whole extra year trying to learn itself, figure itself out, all of that stuff. And then we're kind of sitting here, same place again this time next year. Don't want that to have happen. You want to feel like there's some positive momentum building. Now let's all bring it back around to Matt Ryan, because I want to answer that part of the question. So I think that I think that Matt Ryan is here next year. I really believe that in 2022, the Matt Ryan is on this roster as the starting quarterback. Now, could a team blow the Falcons away with an offer? Sure. That you could say that about literally any player on, on any roster. But I think that the Falcons really liked what they saw from Matt in his first year with this team. You know, we saw the Chris Morrison report that Arthur Smith apparently really wants Matt Ryan back in 2022. They kind of walked that back. Um, you know, he's saying that Terry Fontenot and uh, Arthur Smith will make those decisions jointly. They have not gotten into those conversations about the future, all of that stuff yet. Um, still, there's some rumblings out there that Arthur Smith would like to have Matt Ryan back in the fold. And why wouldn't he? Sure, we know he's expensive, but they're only really going to save about $8 million um, by trading him or, or releasing him. So for $8 million more, I'd, I'd just kind of rather have Matt Ryan for one more year because he at least raises the floor of competency for this team way higher than any of the alternatives you're going to have. And you're not going to have the money to kind of bring in a truly viable backup. You're looking at kind of like the Tyrod Taylor, Marcus Mariota route. Uh, I think if you're going the free agent route and honestly, this just isn't the best class for, for quarterbacks. And if you were going to take a quarterback, why not go with one last year? Unless we're all just wrong about this quarterback class, which is totally on the table. You know what? All we do is we, we hear the drumbeat of a narrative kind of start in the distant rumblings of, of the draft part of the internet in like November. And we just kind of hear the same little adages just over and over. Well, you know, it's a really good pass rush class. Well, it's not the most talented, but this is a deep, deep draft or the quarterbacks. This is a historic year for quarterbacks. You got to get one. Um, and about half of those guys ever pan out this year. It's well, quarterbacks, not as good as last year. There's no real generational talents at the most important position. We could all be wrong. <laughs> we, could, we could be sitting here in, in two years being like, hey, that 2022 class, some good young quarterbacks coming out of there. 
Uh, so if they take one, that doesn't mean that they're idiots. It just means that they saw something that they liked. Um, it would be surprising if it's in the first round uh, because, again, Matt Ryan, I think, is back here. We saw what they decided to do behind him with Josh Rosen and Felipe Franks, uh, two really unproven guys who really didn't do much this year. Uh, and frankly, when they were in there, did not play well, uh, but they were cheap. And the Falcons didn't need them because Matt Ryan continues to be incredibly durable at the quarterback position. So I think Matt Ryan's back. I think they're comfortable just going into the season with really nothing of note behind him, if that allows them to save some money. And then in 2023, that's where it gets interesting because the Falcons could really save a good amount of cap space if they don't move any money around this year, which is also on the table. You could restructure again bump some of that money to next year, bump up that kind of dead cap number, still eat it and still save some money next year. But that's where it plays. It makes more sense for Matt to be here in 2022. And then they kind of have a real decision to make next year. But if Matt lights it up in (laughs) this fall, who knows, then that's a whole different, way more confusing conversation. But unfortunately, I think my main point in in answering these first two questions is I think the Falcons really can kind of get this thing turned around relatively quickly. If that's, you know, two years, that's that's not a bad turnaround window to be really kind of back in the playoff race year in and year out. That's where you expect to be, right? Unfortunately, because of the financial restrictions that have been placed on the team right now at this juncture, because of the decisions made over the last half decade, I think the penalty is that Matt Ryan's window is going to kind of time out. And who knows, worst case scenario, that maybe adds a year or two to this rebuild. Um, if, if it kind of gets to the point where the team really just now reaches the spot where with competent quarterback play, you're a playoff caliber team. But then does the quarterback play become a situation in Atlanta where you're now looking for an answer where you've had one for so long? If that happens in 2024, that's a feasible worry that I would have. Um, and so quarterback will become a bigger issue for this team over the next you know, two off seasons. I, I don't think they're there just yet, but it's certainly right around the corner. All right. Um, next question. Nick uh, Pensikoff asks, if the Falcons were to trade Calvin Ridley, what do you think they would be hoping to get in return? So that's obviously uh, a, another huge factor. Um, for the Falcons this offseason, Calvin Ridley. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do I need to say about him that anybody listening to this podcast doesn't know? Um, I mean, one of the best young wide receivers in the game, really, truly special route running talent. Uh, I mean, even among the elite receivers, like his route running is elite. Uh, he finished tied with Devontae Adams, fifth in the NFL, 1,374 receiving yards in 2020, the last time he played a full season. Um, So that was kind of his breakout year. We saw what he really could be. All of that was supposed to set him up to be the number one receiver this year in Atlanta, take over for Julio. Honestly, whether Julio was here or not, I think Calvin was on that trajectory. And what happens? He plays five games and and sits out for the remainder of the season uh, due to mental health reasons. And that's legitimate. That's real. Not going to comment on on that aspect of it. Only going to sit here and, and talk about the rumors that have now started to crop up where it would make sense for both the Falcons and Calvin Ridley to kind of seek a fresh start. Um, you, you now saw on NFL Network saying 
that, you know, he's not reporting a trade, but just saying that it, it makes sense and that you would understand it from, I guess, both both sides, that if Calvin does want out of, of Atlanta, go somewhere else, kind of get a fresh start, Atlanta could look at, all right, if we're really going to kind of put this franchise on a new path and reorient where we are, maybe now's the time to, to kind of do that on the offensive side of the ball. And you don't want to lose a player like Calvin Ridley, but if it's if it's negatively impacting the team in, in some way, form or fashion, um, then it's usually in the team's best interest to to try to find a way to to mediate that. So um, that's where everything stands right now. So let's talk about what would the Falcons hope to get in return? Uh, well, I think you would sit here and a lot of people would say it has to be a first um, minimum. Like that's where the conversation starts. And I would agree with that, but that's coming from a sentimentality, right? That's coming from watching Calvin Ridley, him being your guy, the the one that was wearing the red and black that you saw drafted and suddenly become the best rookie receiver. And then all, all of a sudden take that next step. And now, now he's kind of torching the saints for two touchdowns in his first game against them. And all of a sudden he, he's like the most fun player to watch on this team. So you grow attached to the guy. I mean, that's understandable. And, and you, you sometimes then overestimate what a player's worth would be. Because if you're looking at it from another team's perspective, they have their best interest in heart. They don't want to just give up more than they need to for a, a player, you know, even if it, it's your favorite player. Um, so that's part of it. The other part, and the more real part, is that we've just seen such an influx of good young wide receivers come into the league through the past couple of drafts it's going to kind of deflate the value a little bit. We're going to, I think, get into a situation where like the running back market, you know, a decade and a half ago, kind of all of a sudden cratered because there were just so many running backs and the lifespan and the, uh, of a running back was shorter. The true difference makers were getting, you know, a fewer and fewer amount of players were these true difference makers. Running back by committee started uh, to become a popular way to keep guys fresh while maintaining production. So running backs just became less valuable. And also, you had a rise of passing in the NFL. The rules made it easier for teams to move the ball successfully, throwing the ball. Whereas before, running was the easiest and safest way to kind of move your way down the field while protecting um, possession of the football. All of this led to a, a boom for wide receivers. But now, because that's been the way for two decades, you're seeing so many good receivers in the league that it becomes a little bit harder to really, really separate yourself as elite. So that's going to be the other conversation where if you're trying to trade maybe for a Calvin Ridley, all right, are we trading for Calvin Ridley or can we just take a guy in the draft? Because it seems like there's six or seven receivers every year that kind of work out in the draft. So let's let's go get one of those guys and try our luck there. Even take two. <laughs> those are rookie contracts that you then have control over for at least four years. So that's the the conversation. That being said, I wanted to look back at some recent trades and kind of get a better sense of what the market has said for receivers like Calvin Ridley. So Calvin Ridley is 27 years old, um, but he's a young 27 still 27. I mean, that he was an older uh, rookie coming into the league. I remember that about him when I was kind of doing the research for that draft season. Calvin Ridley was was among the older. I think he was like 23 coming out. So. Yeah, he's 27 years old and we think of him as as this, you know, I, in my mind, he should be like 24 right now. But no, 27. So 
he's got a fifth year option on his contract uh, that the Falcons picked up for 2022. So any team that would trade for him would have this on their books, uh, $11.16 million, which is 21st among receivers. So still a, a good deal if you're getting, yeah, who should be a number one wide receiver on your team. Yeah, that's that's not um, prohibitive in any way, shape or form so far for Calvin Ridley's career in, in three and a half seasons, because again, he missed you know most of this one. Uh, 3,342 receiving yards and 28 touchdowns. All right, so those are kind of the the facts, the stats that you should know. Now let's get into some examples. Brandon Cooks recently uh, traded by the Rams to Houston before his age 27 season, all right? So he was 27. His first season for Houston um, was 27. So that's right where Calvin Ridley is. Similar kind of young player, but Cooks did not come into the league as an older player, he was young, so he had already um, under his belt six seasons to Calvin's, again, just three and a half so far. So what did the Rams get? The Rams received a second round pick for Brandon Cooks. He had a lot of production at this point. He was averaging about a thousand yards per year over those six seasons, um, and he had 34 touchdowns, so a lot of production there. So a similar type of player, the Rams received a, a second round pick for him, but they also had to send, in addition to Brandon Cooks, a fourth round pick over to Houston. So, you know, it, it's not a pure compensation aspect where it's, it's a, a good young receiver gets you a second round pick in return. And again, I think a lot of fans would say, no, it has to be a first round pick for Calvin Ridley. All right, let's go again. Uh, now, another Houston trade. And you got to take this one with a grain of salt because we all laughed at it at the time and, and called it one of the weirdest trades um, and dumbest trades you'll ever see. DeAndre Hopkins <laughs> traded by the same Houston Texans who acquired Brandon Cooks uh, to the Arizona Cardinals before his age 28 season. So he was 27 um, when they when they traded him. What did the Texans get in return for a player we all considered a top three wide receiver and still largely do? Uh, well, they got David Johnson, uh, one of those running backs who has not done much. They did get a second round pick and they got a future fourth round pick. So a good player, a player at the time. I mean, David Johnson, Pro Bowl running back at the time. So they got a player they believed was going to be a star just at a different position in addition to a second round pick and a future fourth round pick. But the Cardinals also had to send a fourth round pick. In addition to DeAndre Hopkins, they sent a fourth round pick. So they just kind of swapped uh, swap picks there. But this last one, this is the one that I think Falcons fans should look at as the model. Stefan Diggs traded by the Minnesota Vikings to the Buffalo Bills before his age 27 season. And again, Calvin is a young 27, so he will be 27 this year. This is his age 27 season. The Vikings received a first round pick, a fifth round pick, a sixth round pick, and a future fourth round pick. The Bills received Von Diggs and a seventh round pick. So Minnesota gave a, a seventh round pick. What? That's like chump change, man. That's a throw an extra quarter into the tip jar. But they got back a first round pick, a fifth round pick, a sixth round pick, all in that year's draft and a future fourth round pick. That's an awesome haul for a player who I think is a very, very good comp for where Calvin is right now. Devon Diggs at the time considered a good young receiver, not necessarily a dominant young player, but five seasons for Minnesota. He was coming off back to back thousand yard seasons um, right before he got traded. He'd been getting better every single year, was emerging as one of the really good duos with Adam Thielen. So a number two who was looking to break out, 
as kind of a number one. That's why he wanted to go to a place like Buffalo. What did he do when he got there? Best receiver in the league that first year. Monster season. Led the NFL in receiving yards. True breakout year. Calvin Ridley is a, is a similar type of player to Stephon Diggs. A similar kind of type of trajectory early on in his career is coming off of his best season. So I think if the Falcons are going to start to look at moving Calvin, this is the type of offer that I would start to use as a comp and then see what you can do. Now, again, obviously the landscape has changed. Um, it all comes down to the teams that need the position, what they're willing to give up, what they have to give up, all of that stuff. And the factors are, are different now than it was for Minnesota and Buffalo when they did that deal. That being said, I think there's enough similarities there that it's a reasonable comp to, uh, to explore. So those are my thoughts uh, kind of on the Calvin Ridley situation. Again, no update from the team. I don't expect there to be one. It's just going to be, I think, a lot of rumors, a lot of reporting on, uh, on his future speculating. So buckle up, guys. Unfortunately, we're going to kind of do this again uh, <laughs> this offseason. Wish we weren't, but here we go. Next question. Uh, Jeff asks, it seems like the team's invested year after year in edge rushers and the offensive line. True. But they both continue to be areas of weakness. True. So is the coaching for both lines a contributing factor? You know, that has to be right. Well, I I would buy that a little bit more if the coaching hadn't just changed. <laughs> you know, they, they just overhauled both uh, coaching staffs uh, and Frankly, they were kind of always messing around with the defensive line staff there for a little bit while I was covering the team. Um, offensive line, a little bit less so, but the coaching just changed and we saw the results largely stay the same. Now, I, I think the offensive line may be a little underrated at this point because when it was bad, it was really, really bad. But by and large, when it wasn't atrocious, I think it was actually okay. I think it was actually um, not not horrible, especially the run blocking, which had been pretty bad the past couple of years, I think took a significant step in the right direction. The issue was just the pass protection. And I think what's really hard about evaluating, certainly on the fly, when you're watching a game, the interior of the offensive and defensive line, um, and just down in the trenches in general, it's because so much of it, yes, is line up and go beat the man in front of you. But situation plays so much of a role in really what those groups are trying to accomplish and the mental chess game happening down there that we can't see. It's impossible for us to see it. But when the Falcons were at their worst offensive line wise, it was usually when they were trailing in games against good teams. Go figure, right? That made them a one dimensional offense. And they were then put in situations where they had to throw the ball to catch up. They needed to beat the clock just as much as they needed to beat the other team on the opposite side of the field. So that just led a situation where you start to kind of move the king into checkmate. And it kind of comes down to now just a series of patterns. You know, if I move my pieces in just the right way, there's virtually not anything the other person can do from preventing the inevitable. And that's the Falcons found themselves in those situations way too often offensively um, certainly for Arthur Smith's liking <laughs> this year, but that put their offensive line in a really bad spot in an area that they're not already great at. And that was mostly true on the interior of, of the offensive line. You know, I don't think Jake Matthews had a bad year. I don't think Caleb McGarry had a really bad year. It was mainly 
kind of your center and guards. And I'm not talking about Chris Lindstrom. So you guys can fill in the blanks there. That's also a harder area for the additional pass protection to kind of help out, you know, your tight ends, your backs, because it's the space Matt Ryan wants to step up into. So you don't want to have a, a back kind of right in front of Matt Ryan. Um, so the interior is just a little bit of a, of a trickier spot to help fortify. It's also the quickest path to the quarterback. Um, so I think the offensive line play can can just get better at, you know, having a more sustainable offense, keeping the advantage that they have, which is knowing what's going to happen instead of having to react to what's going to happen. And as long as they can continue to disguise their passes and make them look like runs while running the ball effectively, the offensive line, I think, should be fine. It's just when they got into problems like that, you know, they, they didn't have an answer for it. Now, obviously, they could maybe address some personnel things if they choose to, but these are young guys that were kind of the problem. And I think that they benefited from playing out their problems throughout the year. Who knows if the Falcons decide to run it back with this offensive line, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, and I don't necessarily think I would disagree with that decision. Um, but that's the offensive line. Defensive line changes need to be made. Um, but again, it comes down to some of the situations. The Falcons virtually never played with a double digit lead pretty much all year long and certainly not late in games because all of their wins were one score games. So just like the offensive line can be negatively affected when teams know what's happening, the the defensive line would directly benefit from that. By getting up on teams, you force them to do exactly what I just said the Falcons were doing too much of, become one dimensional. You may you just tip your hand. The other team knows what you're going to have to do because they know the situation that you're in. The Falcons couldn't force other teams to be in those situations, so they weren't able to just let their best pass rushers tee off. That being said, I don't know if their best pass rushers are even capable of kind of teeing off um, in the first place, and that's a bigger problem. That is just a personnel issue. They need to go get some guys who can really impact and change the game um, on any single snap, and they don't have those guys. So yes, I, I think... It's obviously still clearly an issue. I think I would push back on it being a coaching issue. Um, I think the offensive line is much more situationally impacted than defense because I don't think that the defensive guys would be able to take advantage of those situations, even if they got them. So that to me is the bigger thing. And that is a personnel issue. I would be very focused on the defensive line, particularly over the offensive line um, this offseason. All right. Hayden asks, what would surprise you more when it comes to the Atlanta Falcons this offseason? One, we draft a QB in the draft. Two, Calvin Ridley is traded to a Dan Quinn led team or three. We trade two or three well-known players. I think the trading of two or three well-known players is, is probably going to happen. Um, maybe not not trades, but I think two or three well-known players will not be on this roster next season who we may not even be thinking of right now. So that's not surprising to me. My answer to this is uh, is drafting a quarterback, but I'm adding the stipulation of in the first round or hell. I, I mean, even the first two or three rounds, um, I, I don't think day one or day two, you're, you're grabbing a quarterback because of what I laid out with the Matt Ryan stuff before. I just think that this, the, if, if Matt Ryan's here, this team clearly wants Matt Ryan to be the focal point of this offense and invest all of all of its resources, all of its time in Matt Ryan and in the starter. I don't think they're necessarily interested in drafting a guy to then come in and split practice reps with Matt Ryan because they want they want to be successful right away. So you're not going to just try to take time away from your most important piece 
on offense um, during practice. I think that's kind of what we saw from them this year with with Josh Rosen and Felipe Franks being their picks. So that leads me to believe that they're probably not going to go with a guy in the second round who then they want to bring in and, and develop. That could all change. Obviously, if somebody that they really like at the position starts to slip, everything, everything is always fluid um, when it comes to the NFL draft. So anything I say right now doesn't mean anything because it could all change on draft night. Um, that being said, that would be the most surprising thing. Although if Calvin Ridley is traded to a Dan Quinn team, that would be pretty damn surprising as well. <laughs> um, I, I don't think that's going to happen. So, you know, I, but never say never. Um, but that one was kind of so far out there that I decided to go with the uh, drafting a QB in the first three rounds, I'll say. Mr. Gray asks if Dan Quinn takes a job without a quarterback, i.e. Denver, that can or could win now. How seriously would he pursue Matt Ryan in a trade? Um, and that's really interesting because I think that it would make sense if you like if if I'm putting myself in Dan Quinn's um, shoes and and one time I even hinted at the the notion that he would ever wear loafers and and he got he didn't take that the right way because um, he's not a loafer guy and that was my mistake should have known I should have read the room but if I was going to put myself into a Dan Quinn's non loafers his combat boots I would uh, I would definitely look at Matt Ryan I mean I think. What would Matt Ryan bring from day one? He'd bring the right mindset, uh, a professional mindset on offense. You have immediate credibility at the most important position. You have somebody who has won an MVP, who has been to the Super Bowl um, in a in a city. Uh, if I'm talking about Denver here, you know, in a city that has seen veteran quarterbacks lead teams to prosperity, has seen veteran free agent quarterbacks lead teams uh, to prosperity. Um, so. That would make a lot of sense for Dan Quinn because you immediately kind of get the offensive side, uh, a big boost, similar to what Thomas Dimitrov did by bringing Michael Turner here um, in his first offseason with the Falcons and kind of immediately gave Atlanta an identity um, on the offensive side of the ball. That would be what a move uh, to get Matt Ryan would mean for Dan Quinn. Um, And he's not a long term option. So you kind of can balance the hope and excitement of selling the fan base on still the future. Um, and, and maybe you don't go draft a quarterback in this draft, but it's not far off, right? You know, you can still kind of sell them, but for a, a franchise that has not, again, talking about Denver here, just as an example for a franchise that has not had stability to position, even two or three years of stability would be really, really enticing. So those are all the positives that I could see from Dan Quinn. The, the obstacles aren't really even Dan Quinn oriented. It would be more, Whatever team he goes to, that's an organization level decision. Owner has to be involved. Um, general manager, the front office has to be on lockstep. Matt Ryan is still going to command, you know, 23 and three quarters of a million dollars in uh, in 2022 at, for whatever team, because that's just going to be his base salary cap hit. So that, that's still 12th among NFL QBs. I mean, it's ahead of guys like Lamar and Matthew Stafford and Dak Prescott. So he's still kind of an expensive option, even though he's really got a good option. Um, you know, Pittsburgh, like uh, we've seen that they are literally kind of like quarterback is, is now becoming an anchor for them. Matt Ryan would make a lot of sense up there. But again, I think the Falcons are going to have Matt Ryan back at quarterback in 2022. So I predict he stays here in Atlanta, although a lot of reasons where if, if Dan Quinn does wind up in the right spot, I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that he and Matt Ryan still have a great relationship. Uh, so that's a, it's a good, a good thought by you. All right, Lonnie. 
What are the three biggest priority areas in the offseason for the coaches to make the Falcons a better team? Um, kind of touched on on a few of these, so I'll hammer through, but I, I did four because uh, two are obvious, and then the other two, I, I try to be a little bit creative. But first, first two, super obvious ones. Go get a pass rusher who can change games. I mean, change games. Uh, three sacks in a game, change a game. But we don't have anybody. You know, Dante Fowler can, can get near the quarterback. He can sniff him. He can, uh, you know, see, see him up close, uh, but didn't get him on the ground enough this year. And you just need somebody who really can change the momentum of a game um, kind of by themselves. And I can't, I can't even really think of the last time. I mean, John Abraham, sure. Uh, but they just haven't had that guy in a long time. Um, and, and they need they need to get somebody like that. Solidify the interior of the offensive line is number two. I, I already touched upon it. Whether that is, again, just these guys getting better and that happens. <laughs> I know people don't want to uh, sit around and wait for it, but guys do get better. They're, they're young kids and they're um, going through their craziest year of, of their life. So we'll see. It was a great learning opportunity, I think, for, for some of those guys. If they decide to bring it back, roll the dice again, I, I do think that makes sense for a lot of reasons. But they could bring in competition, and I wouldn't be shocked uh, either way. All right, these last two. Add another explosive element to the outside passing game. Not a shocker, not a surprise, especially if Calvin Ridley is not here in 2022. I think we saw what this offense was without that element. They need to go get somebody. Whether that's drafting somebody, like I mentioned, a lot of good young wide receivers (laughs) pretty much in every draft. And I don't think that's a well that's going to run dry soon at any point. Go get, you know, uh, you have two second round picks throw a second round pick in there if you want to go get an impact guy if you don't if you just want to kind of maybe take some flyers day three i think that's a, a great option um to just add some numbers here and see what works because wide receiver is a position where you absolutely can land impact guys later on in the draft um and then lastly they need to improve the pass defense between the numbers i think we all know the stat the falcons didn't give up um, an explosive play over 40 yards, only team in the league to do that uh, this this year. That was awesome because they, they've given up explosive plays all over the place on defense for many, many seasons. Um, so it was good to see them not do that. But if you watch closely, they were really vulnerable kind of when they built this umbrella uh, right where the handle of the umbrella goes, right up the middle. Deion Jones, Foyer, part of that's them in coverage, part of that's the safeties. But it, it just kind of speaks to where offenses really felt they could attack this defense. And I don't think Atlanta did enough to, yeah, allow the catch, but but stop them short right there. They gave up catches with running space and a lot of yards after the catch could kind of um, occur as a result. Devondre Campbell had one of the best seasons for a linebacker this year. He gave up a lot of catches in his zone, but he stopped them immediately. He stopped them right there. And so they were short completions. They were short completions that didn't, turn into any leaky yards, um, as Dan Quinn used to say. So that's what they need to prevent. I don't think they did a great enough job at that uh, this year. But Eric Harris, Ron Harmon, like I said, both uh, free agents. So you could see a lot of change there um, kind of in the middle of the defense. And I think that they should maybe try to get that cleaned up. Uh, Lonnie also asked if, quoting here, I believe uh, there are at least 13 to 15 players that will go in the top 10. Uh, Let me ask the, hold on, research. Uh, Yep, yep. Checks out. Uh, math, uh, math there checks out. You're all good. Um, but if you're the Falcons and you get a trade down offer, how far down would you go? Um, to be honest, I'm, I'm not fully versed on, on this year's draft uh, yet. I plan on really diving into that over the next 
couple of weeks, um, and I will have a better answer for you then. But right now, um, I, I don't want to kind of misinform anybody, and I just don't have a great answer for that. Uh, so Zero Mido asks, will the Falcons take a wide receiver in the first round? Parentheses, please say no. No. Ryan Hooper asks, uh, can the Falcons keep Cordero Patterson? And what would the ideal contract look like for both guys? Um, so Spotrack right now is, is kind of calculating his value at uh, $9.1 million a year. Uh, and kind of the ideal contract is a two-year deal for $18.2 you know, million. I think that's probably out of the Falcons' price range for a running back. We know that they are going to be pretty, pretty tight and limited with the cap this year. We saw how many free agents and impactful free agents that um, they are going to need to figure out what to do with. Cordero Patterson is one of them, but they had him this year at $3 million. He was arguably the most valuable contract in the entire NFL. So any type of deal that they're looking at is going to be tough anyway, because it's not going to be the amazing deal that they just had him on. Um, and that's that's the risk of doing one-year contracts, right? So I, I think that there is a chance, and it all depends on how much Cordero Patterson wants to be back in Atlanta, and more importantly, how much that willingness uh, is going to kind of persuade him to take less money, uh, because that's ultimately what this comes down to is, would he rather make more money, or would he rather be here in Atlanta? Um, because this is going to be his most marketable offseason ever. He is older in his NFL career. He's a journeyman who has been all over the place, um, but has never been as impactful as he was here in Atlanta. Point for Atlanta. But he is about to hit free agency at a position where old guys do not last. And he may be looking to, uh, to cash in. So that's point against Atlanta. If Atlanta wants him here, they could potentially do an incentivized uh, deal and kind of tier those where you know he's probably going to hit a, a decent amount of them. And so that will bump up his salary to a point that maybe both parties are comfortable with. And then you throw in some other um, incentives where they're a little bit more challenging to hit. If he hits them, then you're maybe expecting that to lead to team success. And you'll always kind of trade some some of the finances for overall team success in hindsight. So I could see them maybe trying to structure a deal like that with a lower base salary. It's not you know going to be so much against the cap. And then you just put in some of these um, later on in the year bonuses with uh, incentives. It could be done. Um, more creative people and smarter people than me are, are luckily working on all of this. But the good news is it seems like Cordero Patterson wants to be here in Atlanta. Now the question is uh, just how much is that worth to him? All right, guys, that's it for today's mailbag. I really appreciate everybody who sent in some questions. Uh, I thought they were you know, insightful, thoughtful. We got to cover a lot. This podcast went a full 45, which I didn't know I'd be able to uh, to do on my own. My uh, voice is now hoarse and my throat is sore. So thank you guys for that. And I'm sorry you had to listen to me for 45 minutes. Um, Ovi Mihaly will be back hopefully for the next one. And we will get into a lot of, I believe, draft talk, uh, still talking about the Falcons, wrapping up the season, get his thoughts on all of this. And it'll be exciting. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please let everybody know where they can find us, uh, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, please rate and review um, five stars. If you feel like we're worth five stars, if you feel like we're worth one star, please don't touch any buttons. Uh, you're good. You, d- you did your job. You subscribed and that's all you need to do. Um, <laughs> as always, today's podcast was presented by Bet Online. 
that's it from uh from me today as always guys take care thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.